Welcome to episode number 103 of Paper Talk, a series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the fields of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, the hand paper making studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat and Paper Making Masterclasses here in the studio, and I run a membership program called The Paper Year and teach online classes about paper, light, and books, too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today, I'm talking with Andrew Dewar, who was born in Toronto in 1961 and has degrees in journalism, Japanese studies, and library science. He has lived in Japan since 1988. Since completing his Ph.D. studies at Keio University in Tokyo, he has taught at several colleges and for the past decade has been principal of Tokai Daiichi Kindergarten as well as professor of library director at Tokai Gakuin University in Gifu, Japan. Soon after arriving in Japan, he rediscovered his childhood love of paper airplanes and has been flying, designing, and publishing for more than three decades. He also teaches papercraft at schools, community centers, and museums around the country. He has more than 40 publications in English and Japanese. Enjoy our conversation. Andrew Dewar, welcome to Paper Talk. Well, thank you. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it's so fun to talk to you. And um, thanks for getting up or staying up till the wee hours because I know it's <laughs> late there in Japan. <laughs> I'm kind of getting used to this, you know, living over here. Um, if I take part in, you know, origami events or things, they're they're usually set for, um, you know, North American times. So it's right. the middle of the night here. I'm kind of getting used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm going to say we met about a year ago on Facebook or through email. and Yeah, yeah I think it was probably Facebook. And it was, uh-huh. you know, just when, when your new book came out, I um, got a glimpse of that and decided that was something I needed to get. Uh-huh. Um, I had one of your other books, actually, from oh, cool. from before that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. So. Oh, yeah. It's been really fun seeing your work. And you've been so active in my Facebook group, The Paper Studio. And thank you for posting there. We do this. Oh, no problem. It's flaunt it Friday. And you <laughs> you do that almost every week. And it's really wonderful to yeah, see your yeah, explorations yeah, in paper. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so yeah, I want to hear all about your life with paper. It's super fascinating. And I, uh, I know you have an an uh, interest, perhaps obsession with paper airplanes. And I mm-hmm. wondered um, what your earliest memory of airplanes is. Like before you started folding them, you must have been oh. interested in them. <laughs> Good question. Well, you know, some of my earliest memories are of folding origami airplanes. Okay. Um, so it goes back a long time. My dad was a, a pilot in the war. Okay. Um, so we got lots of flying stories mm-hmm. uh, at, at dinner time and so on. And uh, there were, you know, lots of models in the house. And, and I think where we were living, we were sort of under the flight path for, for some of the airports in around Toronto. So there were all oh. kinds of interesting planes flying over all the time. 
And uh, so, you know, every time I went out, there'd be something flying over and look up and, and watch it going by. So I was really aware of airplanes quite early. Right. Um, okay. And you grew up in Toronto. I grew up in Toronto. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which cool. has, it has now basically just the, um, the big international airport. And then there's, there's an Island airport. There was another one um, that was right in the city and it was fairly close to my place where they were doing um, actually, you know, designing new airplanes. So there was all kinds of interesting uh -huh. stuff flying over. Oh, okay. So how did you discover folding paper airplanes? Um, again, I'm not really sure because mm -hmm. uh, um, I was folding them from probably before I started school. Okay. Um, Were you using sort of origami paper? No. Folding airplanes? No, because with it didn't have paper. anything like that. It was right. just, just um, I don't know what, it was just normal letter paper that was around the house and, and uh, was folding, right. folding with that kind of thing and, you know, fold the airplanes and fly them. And if they flew, they went in, you know, a box to keep. And if <laughs> they didn't fly, they went in the garbage. And, and, uh, so quite a young age, I was, you know, realizing that you could design these things for yourself. Right. So you were deviating from the, uh, whatever you were just making your dart. own folds. Yeah. 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 Ah, cool. And uh, I'm not quite sure why, why I, I came to think that way, but I mean, that's certainly the way I do things these days is think, well, you know, there's no reason why I can't design one of those. Right. Whatever right. it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, so what happened next? Um, um, yeah, there's a, a whole lot of sort of different, avenues that that things went but one that was quite early was um there was an international paper airplane contest in in san francisco in 1967 i was born in 61 okay. so um 1967 sometime around there 67 68 book came out that had all these designs in it my my dad came home with that he was really excited about it and it it was a fascinating book so you know we worked our way through it and that and, was uh, the the great international paper airplane book. Paper airplane. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. And, and here it is. It's rescued from the den. Yeah. Okay. So, Wonderful. Uh, and, and listeners, uh, by the way, Andrew was interviewed by NHK. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, oh, they yes. do a Please series on mm -hmm. Japanophiles, and so that's why I knew the name of this book because I watched it. It's very good and you can see you Andrew can see the book yeah and the book so, and more um, things we talk about yeah so the next step for me would have been um uh actually i was making a lot of other paper models before okay doing the airplanes um i was making you know paper houses and and uh paper cars and and just you know trying to make models um, so so not origami sort of cutting and folding and gluing cutting and folding yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um again with the origami it's it, it, most of it the books were were for square paper and and i suppose i could have cut the paper to make it square but um it just it wasn't something that was around all the time right uh i think a little later on there was a japanese canadian cultural center that was quite close to my house and, and uh, 
went there quite a bit. And, and oh. um, so it was easier to get origami paper from them. Uh-huh. Uh, and was doing a little bit more later on. But um, at first it was just, you know, whatever, whatever paper was at home. So I was using, you know, construction paper to, to make little models of, of things. It was easier to make a paper model than it was to try and find the money to, to buy a, a plastic kit. Right, right. And uh, a lot more satisfaction in making your own model. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And, and your parents obviously were fostering your interest. Yeah, uh, uh, my family is really sort of a DIY family. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad did a lot of carpentry, and he had like a, a, a full workshop in, in the basement. And I mm-hmm. think he probably made most of the furniture in the house. Oh, like wow. you know system kitchens and everything so oh, yeah um he was always working on something he uh he made at least three yachts oh wow in the basement <laughs> <laughs> wow i think he probably would have made an airplane if my mother had allowed it uh-huh yeah yeah and uh um my mom sewed all their clothes for everybody and and uh um, there was a just she ended up becoming a potter uh-huh, uh-huh. and doing a lot of uh, sort of semi-professional potter. And uh, Did you explore any of the, the materials they were working with or did yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Really, I, yeah. Um, I did some sewing. I did a lot of knitting. Mm-hmm. I love yarn. Mm. So knitting was something that I really enjoyed doing, but um, uh just sort of got overtaken by <clears throat> paper airplanes and uh, I enjoyed the woodworking, but it like took more time to, to finish something. <clears throat> right. Um, right. Yeah. And my mom always wanted me to get started in, in, in pottery, but I knew if I started pottery that I'd be totally sucked into that world, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I was much happier to be working with paper, which is just, you know, it's, in in a lot of ways, it's much easier to work with, and and um, you can finish a project in much less time. So, right, right. So, tell me about your connection to Japan. I think that happened pretty early. You discovered a, another paper. <clears throat> yeah, there was um, again sort of converging things. Um, uh, there was the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center, which you know had things like judo and and uh, flower arranging and just all kinds of things that we mm-hmm. bonsai things that we were trying mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and i think in 1970 my aunt who had never gone anywhere decided suddenly she wanted to go to the osaka exposition uh-huh and uh came back with a a, a book on how to write Japanese characters, which was certainly not what I was expecting as a present. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got to learn these things. Uh-huh. But then it turned out to be really interesting. So I was, you know, like fiddling with those. Uh-huh. And uh, and the, the big one, of course, was, um, you know, the origami airplanes and so on, and going to the library and, and uh, seeing what they had and coming across the book by um, Yasuaki Ninomiya, which had the paper gliders in it, which um, are quite different from the origami airplanes because the origami, you're simply folding the paper into a 
the shape of an airplane. Um, the paper gliders were using a heavier paper and, and you cut and glue the pieces together uh, so that they end up looking like, you know, a model airplane or um, the ones that I eventually started making were looking more like, you know, the actual airplane scaled down. Right. And it seems like you were already building models, but maybe you hadn't built paper airplanes yet. Is that not right? in the not in the same way? No. Yeah, yeah. So this was kind um, of an aha moment. That was an aha moment. Connecting. And, and, uh, and yeah, the it was glider... I mean, literally in the library because I found the book on the shelf and I uh-huh. said, you know, I want to make one of these now. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, got the librarian to lend me some scissors and and uh, and paper and and build it right there in the library. Uh huh. So, um, right. You and can tell that glider... I was a regular, right? Eh? This glider, I remember as a kid getting these little plastic pack mm-hmm. with balsa wood. Mm-hmm. It's a similar design to that, it looked like. It's a similar design yeah. to that, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But and, it's all uh, paper, and you are um, are you building up layers of paper? Um, those particular designs were, yeah, layers of paper. Okay, yeah. And then the so, slot mechanism. Well, the different ways well, of doing it. Ways, I think the yeah. easiest way is just to have, you know, like glue tabs and stick it on the, uh-huh. on the glue right, tabs. Right, right. Um, th- you could certainly slot them in, but um, since it was uh, just a, a, a fuselage made up of a number of layers of paper, it really isn't a whole lot of structure. Right. If you're just the tab sticking it in. helps. Got, got it, got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like remembering the balsa wood. <laughs> but it's Which the same sort different. of thing. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, a, they call it a profile fuselage, but it's basically just a, you know, a, a, a flat slat. Right. Um, which was very easy to build, but um, very quickly that kind of lost its luster because it didn't look like much from underneath when the plane was flying. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, figuring out how to make these things more three dimensional. Uh huh. In any case, um, once I found the book, uh, I worked my way through it very quickly. But I noticed that there were a lot of uh, models that were in photographs that weren't. They didn't have pattern pieces in the book. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, that's kind of unusual for a Japanese publication because usually they're very scrupulous about. Um, what they show you know, is explained. what they show yeah. is, is uh-huh. yeah is explained, uh-huh. um, and there was an explanation at the back on how to design your own sort oh. of thing. So I uh-huh. was designing my own, and after a while, I thought, you know, I really kind of like the sort of maybe exchange designs with uh-huh. the author. Right, you know, I was I was ten or eleven, so didn't. And was the book in English? The book, the book was, was translated? in English. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, it was in English. Okay. Um, he had been the winner of, of the, the International Paper Airplane Contest. The one in San Francisco? The one in San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay. how that that's how that book came to be. Okay. Um, but unbeknownst to me, he had been publishing a lot of stuff in Japan uh-huh. by that point. And um, so he sent me a couple of his books in Japanese. Right. You contacted... I think you sent I, I, him a letter. I sent him a letter. You, to your publisher, and they sent it to him. And yeah, then, yeah. Right. Okay, so you got some books that were in Japanese. In Japanese, and then I had to try and figure out how to read them. 
Right. But a lot of it was <laughs> diagrams that you could understand. It was mostly that. diagrams. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so trace the parts onto paper. Um, yeah. And is that, the, is that how it was done? Was oh, I'm sorry. I have a little uh, bit of a delay. So I'm just curious uh, about the, uh, yeah, the, how the books, how people in the, uh, this was like 70s, I presume, um, how the 70s, publishing, yeah. Yeah, patterns. You trace the patterns and then cut those designs out of paper. Yes, the the books that were published in English were designed that way. You traced the pattern. Mm-hmm. It explained how to do that, and it said, "Get yourself some thick paper." Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a problem for me. Uh-huh. When the books arrived from Japan, um, they were books that you were intended to cut out and actually make into the airplanes. Oh, okay. So the difference was that the the English book had pattern pieces on every page. So when you turned the page, it was a different pattern. Right. You, could, you couldn't cut them yeah. out. But the yeah. Japanese book was, you know, blank on every other page. And I was thinking, uh-huh. why is this? You know, because this is really heavy paper. Yeah. And... Um, figure that out but then i realized that it had to be that that thickness of paper and i couldn't find any uh-huh so that was uh that was a problem when i was you know and, and even looking in stationary stores and so on there wasn't anything that was really like that um uh-huh. that was good the the closest thing would be the file folders you know the old oh, yeah. manila file folders mm-hmm. um but they're not that sturdy Okay. Um, they actually uh, crease very easily, so they mm-hmm. they don't stand up to the, the stress. And then the the you remember the Bristol board that was, you know what I mean by Bristol board? It had like a nice smooth face on both sides, and right. the, the center was a um, like a pulpy core. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you folded that, it would crack. Right. Mm. And, so describe uh, describe the type of models you were building, if you can, just so we can get a visual on. Because you're talking about folding, um, other curves, tabs. Yeah, um, you, you would have tabs that you would need to fold. So yes. it's like a replication of what airplane or uh, the the earliest ones that were copied from the book, as I say, were just a number of layers that were glued together in okay. a flat, flat plate. So that wasn't, that wasn't a big problem, mm-hmm. but um, if you're flying them outside, you throwing them fairly hard, they need to be, you know, fairly sturdy to stand up to that. Right. Um, after that, when I started doing my own sort of three dimensional ones, um, the wings and the tail are still, you know, flat, flat paper. Mm-hmm. Um, the wings may be two layers to make them stiffer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fuselage is, is essentially it's a tube that's being sort of shaped so that, right. you know, it looks like a, the fuselage of an airplane, right. um, which is very sturdy in torsion. It won't twist. Uh-huh. And it's very sturdy in... Um, compression uh, in other words well say it hits the ground from right. a great height right it's not going to squish 
Uh -huh. um, but if you put weight on it from from the top and, and like you step on it, it right. will get squashed. Right. Um, because it's a tube, it, it's very, very strong and also mm -hmm. very light. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, it can actually be fairly thin paper and get away with it. But right. again, I just it couldn't find anything that was really appropriate. Right. It's so interesting to think about all of the, the elements. It's not just constructing. It has to fly and then it has to hold up yeah. to, um, yeah, falling or hopefully, I don't know if some of your models land on their wheels. You know, even yeah. And even if they do land on the wheels, it's still, they're moving pretty fast. Right. Um, yeah. They look like they're sort of, floating gently in the sky but when you try and sort of run and catch them they're they're going faster than you are so right uh they're going fairly fast oh. um okay so you yeah. were you mm -hmm. you were um building models and i think you were did you teach as a kid yeah i did mm -hmm. um there was a, a science museum quite close uh -huh. to home again and and uh at the time anyways it was really cheap for for children i've forgotten how much it was like you know we could go on our weekly allowance kind of thing so it was like going every other week uh-huh and uh they had a huge hallway to, in, once you went in there was a like a large entrance hallway that had a a, a mezzanine balcony ah and so you could fly the airplanes off the balcony and it was it was quite long it was um well, it was probably 30 40 maybe 50 meters even 40 meters okay length so, so was, was that yeah. was that an activity making paper airplanes there or they did they did that occasionally yeah, yeah okay. they would have mm -hmm. contests there occasionally which okay. um which is fun too but then i would be going and taking my own planes and sort uh -huh. of like testing them there right which got the attention of the staff uh-huh um and not unfavorable attention. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so after a while, I was sort of uh, getting to go into the backyard uh -huh. and uh, see what they were working on. Oh, cool! And and then there was a um, summer long uh, exhibition called "In Praise of Hands," and it was like handicrafts from all around the world. Uh -huh. It's all all kinds of things. There were um, fiber things. There were um, woodworking and, and all sorts of uh, different handicrafts um, mm -hmm. and one of the one of the attractions was uh, um, a toy booth they had a booth where you could people could you know going by could stop for a few minutes and make a, a, a simple toy uh -huh. and uh, they changed the contents every week okay uh, so for one of the weeks I was making uh, teaching paper airplanes there. Okay. And, uh, had had some simple ones that people could uh -huh. trace the parts, cut them out, and, and make the plane oh. right there. So that was a lot of fun. Had a, a lot of people came by, and it was really good experience to oh, I bet. to to teach some. Uh, some people get it really quickly, uh -huh. and some don't. And you know, some this you know don't know how to treat the paper so that it, it ends up, you know, nice looking airplane. Right. Uh, then trying to 
you know, get the planes fixed so that everyone's would fly. Yeah. And uh, you know, trying to make sure that everyone uh, went away with, uh, you know, yeah, when you have a lot of people it. and all of those situations at once, that can be, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's interesting. Wow, wow. Yeah. I, that's that's the kind of workshop I love doing the most. Mm-hmm. You know, instead mm-hmm. of having people sitting, you know, like in rows in, in, in a classroom mm-hmm. style, it's, it's much more interesting to have, um, you know, a desk put out and maybe 20 seats or something and people will just come by and sit down and they're all at different stages and, they're talking to each other and and it's a lot of fun doing it that way. Right. Yeah. And they, they didn't sign up for it. Right. They didn't sign up for it. So, so you get all kinds of people. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's just uh, move ahead. You have, you have so many great stories to where you went to college and your studies. And, and I'm just curious amongst that, whether you have any kind of, I know your father did the woodworking and was building any kind of physics or engineering studies because there's balance and all these things in the paper airplanes or do have you just learned it through paper airplanes? I just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I learned that mostly through mm-hmm. the paper airplanes and mm-hmm. I've never, never studied that because somewhere along the line, I lost the track of math. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like math, um, but, I think I had a, I'm going to blame it on my teachers. I had a couple yeah. of uh, bad, <laughs> bad experiences um, and, and just sort of like fell off the path. Right. And uh, so that, that shut out any possibility of going on to engineering, which, mm-hmm. you know, I would have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I had been doing the library work for so many years, it's once I, I was going to the library practically every day. Okay from the end of uh, primary school so after um, school you yeah after school it was on the way home from school okay so you know i walk on the way walking home always made a detour to the library to see what was new uh-huh. and uh, uh in my first year of high school they took me aside and said uh, you know as long as you're coming here every day you might as well work okay part-time so um so I started doing that, and, and that developed into ultimately a position as a librarian. So uh, uh, when I was going through university, I was doing uh, some language and mostly literature. I did uh, journalism okay, and uh, then library science to get a library science degree. Okay. And the language you were studying Japanese? Studying Japanese. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which was just a, a, a side thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but had you started that all the way back when your aunt gave you that book? Had you kind of been? I had, or- I had started a little bit, and then, uh-huh. but I was just doing it on my own, so it didn't really go anywhere. Right. And uh, um, I never thought of myself as being particularly good at language because I wasn't doing all that well in the in the French. You know that we had to take French from beginning of, or the end of. Uh, I guess grade six, we started French mm-hmm. and uh, um, I didn't get very good marks. So I always thought of myself as very, you know, fairly poor at languages. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to get into grad school, I needed to have very good marks. So that meant I couldn't be taking any language courses. 
And so I just sort of put that off until after I got into grad school and was taking them uh, after that. Okay, so you did library science in grad school or Japanese? I did library science in grad school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and that so was that in was what Canada? I was doing there. That was in Canada. It was all mm -hmm. in, in Toronto. Okay. Um, once I got my library degree, worked for a year as a librarian in Toronto, and then I got a scholarship to um, study in Japan for for several years. I ended up studying. Um, okay. Was that the Mombu show? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mombu show. Uh, I guess they call it the, what do they call it? Momosho scholarship, anyway, something like that. Um, the Japanese Ministry of Education, at that time, anyways, they invited about a thousand scholars from around the world. Right. Um, I think the Canadian allotment was something like 10 or 11 people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my professors said, Well, you know, you should go. Right. And uh, everyone else that was going was either studying Japanese or Japanese literature. And I said, give myself a better shot. I'll, I'll, I'll sign up to, to do library science in, in Japan. And, and ah. uh, I think that shocked them enough that they wanted to see, you know, who's who's signing up for this? Right, right. Because right. when I arrived over here, they all said, why are you here? We want to go there. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so um, you... So was that for several years or one year and it extended and sort of what it happened? It was originally a two-year scholarship. You know, okay. <laughs> a two-year scholarship that, that extended to four. Uh-huh. Um, I started off as a research student and they they suggested I should start the doctorate program. And, and once I did that, it was a three-year program. So I stayed till the end of it. Okay. And, and was uh, that in Gifu where you are today? No, no, that was in or Tokyo. So Tokyo, okay. Tokyo, okay. yeah. Okay. And uh, and after that, I, I uh, was offered a, a teaching position in, in university here, so I just stayed on, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I know your day job, let's just continue that cycle <laughs> for a minute. You're a principal of a kindergarten now. So yes. So how did that happen? <laughs> uh, that's another accident. Um, okay. <laughs> Because I was teaching, well, I still teach library science. Uh, and my main position is as professor at at, at a university. Okay. And uh, uh, I had been in northern Japan until the earthquake. Mm. And then that wasn't a good place to be. Mm -hmm. um, and ended up coming to uh, Gifu, which is near Nagoya. It's sort of in the middle of Japan. Um, my wife was the one that found the university first. They were looking for someone with her qualifications, and she went for the interview. And then they said, well, what about your husband? Are you going to leave him behind? <laughs> said, well, he's a you know, university professor. Oh. <laughs> oh okay. Well, get him over here. And when they interviewed me, they said the first thing they said is, uh, "Do you want to be a principal of a kindergarten?" So, yeah, sure, that sounds like oh, fun. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a, a kindergarten that's affiliated with the university um, because the university has an early childhood education program. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. So um, we have university students like coming through all the time uh, doing practicums. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. how many years have you been this principal? Um, uh, 10 years. 10 years. Okay. And you've been in years. Japan now for how many years? For almost 35. 35 years. Yeah. Okay. And then somewhere in there, is your wife Japanese? Yes. Okay. You met your wife. Do you have kids? About halfway through. Yeah. I have uh, three kids. Okay. And how old are they? Are they grown? Um, uh, the oldest is uh, 20. Okay. And then uh, 18 or 19. Oh, about to turn 19 and and uh, 15. Okay. I have to think about the ages because in, in Japan, everyone refers to people by what year of school they're in. Okay. Right. Right, right, right. Ah. So. And are uh, they bilingual? They're bilingual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that was that was the luckiest thing for us about the earthquake actually <laughs> mm. ironically we uh we um went back to canada uh for a little while afterwards and put the kids in school oh, okay and uh they were young enough at the time the oldest went into grade three the youngest was in um nursery school so they they picked up the english really quickly Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so great to learn it, yeah. uh, to be yeah. immersed at a young age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, cool. So that's, that's helped them out a lot. And, and mm -hmm. uh, when we have, you know, dinner here, my son only talks English. <laughs> <laughs> my daughters only speak um, Japanese, but they, they understand it. Right. You know, everything. So oh. um, it's been useful for them in their, in their schooling too, to, yeah. to be yeah uh the the professors are actually usually sort of picking them up can you help us with this yeah i bet i bet yeah, yeah. oh cool okay so back to paper um where was i gonna go uh so so yeah so you ended up in japan and i think you met this mentor the 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 japanese man who had yes yeah. you the books and sort of mm -hmm. what transpired um, he had uh, sort of a an, an irregular meeting of, of people that gathered in a large park in Tokyo to, to fly. And he just said, you know, we'll come on by. And, and there were a lot of people there. I think the first day I went, it was, you know, like 50, 100 people there mm -hmm. flying, just, you know, hobbyists. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, well, that was really something. Yeah. Um, because I had been doing it by myself up to that point. Right. And, you know, when you do things by yourself, you don't know where your level is. Mm -hmm. And am I doing this the right way? Is this how it should be? Um, what can I do to make it better? There's really not a whole lot of input that way. Mm -hmm. But suddenly there was, you know, these people that were just like, you know, I was flying the airplane sort of across the room and these guys were, you know, flying them out of the park. <laughs> Right. These are, you know, going off somewhere and disappearing. Yeah. And that was a totally different level. Um, so then there was, you know, collaboration and competition and, you know, like the urge to sort of show off. And, and yeah. it was just really stimulating. Yeah. So I was going, going there practically every weekend. If it didn't rain, I was, you know, out there flying. With other people. 
there was with a, other people. a weekly gathering. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um so that was that was really stimulating. But then of course, um me being me, I wasn't going to be, you know, doing exactly what everyone else was doing. Um and I started doing my own sort of style of the airplanes with the uh uh the three dimensional fuselages and so on. Um which was interesting. It's uh uh, it wasn't something that anyone else was doing, really. I think there were a few, few other people that were doing sort of um, tubular, tubular fuselages and so on. But um, the general feeling was that, you know, what the master was doing was the, sort of the way to do it. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, I think if everyone takes a look at that video later, they, they can they can see. He's, yes, we actually know me. He's still, he's still alive. He's... Um, bedridden at the moment he has had a stroke a few years ago mm-hmm. um but still very sharp yeah and uh they asked him you know uh, uh and and what what did andrew's planes fly like this oh they're no good they're not as good <laughs> as mine uh-huh right yeah. did you right. what did you think of they think it would be a good idea to say something to him and and, and tell him how to do it nope he can do it his own way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh that was that was the kind of person he was, which was really helpful because he was really glad to have someone else come along and do something different. Right. And you right. know um Do you think it helps that it you were it. I'm just curious whether you think it the fact that you were a foreigner also added to that or not? I mean, Absolutely. Well, your own th- thinking that you could do it your own way, I guess, is part of that. Yeah, yeah. But then also, the Japanese seeing a foreign. Yeah, there's an interesting dynamic in there. Yeah, there, there is a there is a certain amount of pushback. I think if you're Japanese, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, but then and then you know, this people in general were trying to be helpful and 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 going in the opposite direction too. There was one time, I think, you know. Quite a bit later, when when I was living in northern Japan, I went went there one day when I was on a trip, business trip to Tokyo, and I had some time, so I went to the the park mm-hmm. and was flying there. And somebody that I didn't know that, that I guess had had been there for a while sort of came wandering over and said, "No, no, that kind of plane is no good. You know, <laughs> you should do it like mine." And another person that I'd known from the Tokyo days, you know, so I came rushing, rushing over and he said, you can't say that to him. Don't say that to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So it was, uh, I think probably being a, a foreigner certainly got me a lot more attention when I went there. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Right. And right. Uh, a certain amount of, of liberty to try other things. but Right. Um now, when did you get into writing uh, uh, books about the paper books airplanes? About because you have over <clears throat> forty that you've published, right? Something. Yes, yeah. Um, and how? Well, how did it happen? Doesn't matter when. I had because I had been doing my own designs, I was thinking, you know, other people might be interested in, mm-hmm. in seeing them. I'd like to publish them at some point. Um, believe it or not, believe it or not, I think when I was probably in grade one or grade two, you know, I started making paper models of my own. Right. And I remember 
this is kind of like a slightly embarrassing memory. <laughs> made a number of sort of hand-drawn books of how to make things from paper. Uh-huh. And I remember, you know, having like a, a probably four or five of these that I had done and it had had them in a wagon and I was out on the street, you know, <laughs> seeing if the neighbors were interested in buying them. <laughs> oh. Uh Obviously not. But well, it, was, it just it was wasn't of, the right clientele. Because, it wasn't the right you know, clientele. Yeah. No. But that was something it's, that I definitely wanted to do from like a very oh, early okay. age. Okay. So once it was beginning to be in my sights, you know, I was thinking, oh, so how can I do this? And um, um, sort of was saying to Dr. Nanomia, you know, I'd like to put a put out a book of planes at some point. And he said, you know, don't talk about it. Do it. Uh-huh. Stop talking. Do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, so he introduced me to his publisher. And, and that didn't entirely pan out. But um, they they then suggested that I go on a TV show that they had been asked. This is the like Japanese Paper Airplane Association occasionally gets requests for, oh, you know, okay. go on Japanese variety shows or whatever. And they they suggested that I go on this particular one, which uh-huh. you know did didn't actually seem all that appealing. It was like watched by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It was a um, very popular show, but you know my role there was to be a sort of a a, a foil for the the, the, the guests, you know, the the, okay. the the celebrities, and not talk too much, you know. Oh, okay. Um, so it didn't like seem that it went really well when when it was broadcast but but then the next day I got a phone call from a publisher who said we want to put out your book and that was like really amazing to me that that they would just phone up and assume that I could you know read and write and, and so on in Japanese <laughs> This episode of Paper Talk is sponsored by the Redcliffe Paper Retreat an annual retreat held at Helen Hebert's studio in the heart of the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in late August. Enjoy a peaceful, creative week in the tiny hamlet of Redcliffe, surrounded by mountains, the river, and aspen trees. Experiment with several techniques as you create a variety of paper objects that will intrigue your eyes and illuminate your spirit. All levels of art experience are invited. The 2023 retreat theme is Paper Panels. Come explore a variety of papers that can be made by hand, cut, folded, stitched, and assembled in a variety of ways to create books, wall hangings, sculpture, lighting, and more. Explore these ideas as you create unique paper objects with a dozen like-minded creatives. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com backslash red-cliff-paper-retreat. Did you speak Japanese? The, oh yeah, so show, I spoke Japanese on the show. That, on the and show, the show was yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. not must... talking a whole lot, but but there right. I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a complete accident too, because it was his, the publisher's, the editor's daughter had been recording some other show, and she got the time wrong, and Sense. and so the part that had me in it, you know, so she sort of watched that and said, "Hmm, I think my dad would be interested in this," and. Huh. And so, uh, and so that's how that happened. That was a, a fortunate accident, and that was in '97. 
And until that until that editor retired, we were doing like a book a year for something. It was something like that. Quite a quite a lot of books there. And then he, he introduced me to an American publisher that was looking for um, Japanese craft things that were slightly unusual. Ah, oh, okay. And that's that's been quite fruitful because we've been doing quite a lot of things. I think probably so about one a year for since the 2004 or so so yeah quite a few publications okay and what's your most recent one what's it called oh good question <laughs> the, there are so many that? you can't remember yeah yeah well the the problem with the american publishers is that you know, they, they say, we'd like you to do a book and can you have it to us by such and such a time and then, you know, write the thing, send it in. Oh, and then they right. go through, they yeah. go through all the production stuff, you know, and it, like, but the, between when I send in the manuscript and when it actually comes out, it's like a year and a half. Right. Um, as opposed to the Japanese ones where I put send in the finished manuscript and it's on the stands in like a month. Really? So. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, ah. Some of the ones that I did were like, just frantic the, the the editor would phone up and say there's going to be an exhibition of you know like da vinci stuff in two months um so we want to have a book on the stands by then oh right you know right right so, so so who comes up with the idea like you mentioned da vinci so there's anniversaries for things and there's celebrations yeah for... um is that a little of both you i and... think it's a little of both uh-huh. there were quite a few i think where the editors came up with something you know they they say we'd like we'd like a book about this. Can you do it? Um, the American publisher, Tuttle Publishing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, were always interested in proposals. So uh, I would send in, you know, a number of proposals and then, you know, they'd say, well, we like this one. And, and uh, so then I would work on that. So I, I had, you know, some leeway to, to, come up with ideas but for myself i think right. that in the case of the, the american publisher it was is mostly you know the marketing people that said well we can sell that or we can't sell that right and that right. would be the decision in yeah. the case of the japanese publisher his his philosophy was um put out a book that sells you know really well once a year and after that i'm going to have fun uh-huh so something that he felt he'd like to do uh-huh um we did, I did something about tree houses. I was working on a tree house thing with them. Uh-huh. Um, when the sky tree, you know, the the, the huge tower in, in Tokyo. Oh, in Tokyo, yeah. Um, was built, wanted to do a model of that. Okay, yeah. That was a real challenge because we had to get a license from the design firm mm-hmm. to do it, but they wouldn't send us plans or photographs of it. And it was like, you know, as it was going up with the scaffolding on it, trying to figure out what it looked like. Oh, wow. Uh So that was Uh that that kind of thing. It was like a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff. Um, Right. So when we came up with ideas, it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, in the Facebook group, you're often posting these, I forget the name you have, uh, Ramp Walkers. Ramp Walkers. Uh, tell me mm-hmm. about those, what they are, and then kind of go through quickly the uh, how you build one. Like, 
are you painting the paper? I mean, they're colored or what kind of oh, paper okay. are you using and all of that? Okay. So first, first, what is a ramp walker? First, a ramp walker is uh, it's a toy that uh, uses gravity. It walks walks down a, a slope under its own power. And there, there are a lot of different styles of, of ramp walkers. Some of them have, you know, two legs. Some use four legs. Um, so they often they're like dinosaurs. Yeah, what the else? ones that I, I like to do are dinosaurs, okay. monsters, birds, okay. you know, things that that are, look like they're, they walk in an interesting way. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and uh, some of them sort of move back and forth. It, it, it's sort of like a metronome style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you can also design them so that they, they sort of go side by side and, and literally walk on two feet, which is a little bit more difficult to do. Um, and there's a whole lot of different, different ways of making them walk. But anyways, um, they used to be popular as plastic toys. Oh, okay. I don't know if you saw them when you were younger. Did they have a name? Ramp Walker? I don't recall that name. I or don't remember. There's... I'm sure. Maybe if I saw one, I would Yeah, remember. you probably yeah. would remember mm -hmm. having seen them. But... Mm -hmm. um, they were always made of plastic, mm -hmm. uh, the ones that were sort of mass produced. Right. Um, these days, there are a lot of people who do them as sort of a fun woodworking project. But, okay. you know, I I thought, well, surely we can make them out of paper. Right. <clears throat> and uh, uh, with a little, little bit of experimentation, it, it, uh, it worked out. So I've, I sort of enjoy doing, doing those. They're fun. Um, Mostly it's uh, trial and error, actually. And are you working by hand or on the computer? Um, uh, a little bit of both. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. <clears throat> I think the prototypes are often sort of like, I call them scissor sketches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you just take the paper and sort of cut it and, and uh, stick stuff together. And, and mm -hmm. if the balance doesn't seem right, you know, add some paper. Right. To, to, to change the balance and you know cut bits off here and add bits there and and uh, then it works then then do a a, a more uh, formal sort of a a, a plan right. in the computer right um, I used to well before I had the computer program to do it do everything by hand and I would make template pieces mm -hmm. and trace around them you know mm -hmm. it was the, the way that i was originally doing the paper airplane books right um these days it's just much easier to do it on the computer oh yeah do what uh, program do you use is it a special use, software or Adobe no i just use illustrator yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah which is the easiest one to um use illustrator mainly because i can uh then use the the plans in other formats when I'm putting them into the books, for example. Right. Uh, it's just, it's easier to, to use them in, in different, different ways. What about um, cutting the parts out? Do you do that by hand or do you have a, I do that by hand. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people these days are, are sort of getting into the, the either the, the, the mechanical cutters or the right. laser cutters. Right. Um, I just like to do it by hand. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. uh, it's it just I don't know it, it feels a lot nicer and you can get a much 
I don't know if anyone else finds this, but I, I find that I can actually, you know, do a much nicer curve or a much nicer line with scissors than I can with a pencil. Uh-huh. Um, or what about you don't use a knife? You always use scissors? I don't use a knife, no. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, the reason why <clears throat> I prefer to use the scissors is because uh, with the knife, because I'm using the thicker paper, it'll end up with a burl. You know what I mean? The uh, the paper ends up having sort of like oh yeah, like the, curls the at edge. the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah curls yeah. at the edge. Uh huh. Whereas with the scissors, there's just a, an absolutely clean square e edge. So okay. if I'm butting pieces together, they'll actually butt together. Ah, okay. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about the paper you're using. Okay. What's your favorite paper? Um, these models? paper that I. Paper that I mostly use is uh, uh, this is it. Uh, this is a Vagus paper. Vagus. V a g a s. B a uh, b a g a s s e. Vagus. Oh, it's yeah. made from sugar cane. Uh huh. Made from sugar cane. Yeah. Where do you get that? Um, I go to a wholesaler. Okay. Uh, there used to be. A lot of manufacturers making it in Japan. I think it's you know it's a fairly common paper. Mm -hmm. um, it's now used for things like um, coffee filters, okay. okay, and that sort of thing. I suspect it might be a little more expensive than pulp paper. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that would be, um, but it got a bad name a few years ago. There was a there was a policy in Japan. This was quite a while ago, where government agencies had to buy only paper that was more than 50% reused post-consumer post-consumer uh -huh. yeah uh-huh um but in japan at that point they were only collecting 10% oh, okay so the manufacturers just they couldn't make it right and so they were faking it uh, okay <laughs> and <laughs> And I guess the the you know the manufacturers all sort of ganged up on Bagus as as, as being the culprit. Um, <laughs> so there's only one. I think there's only one manufacturer that's doing it now. But, but I get it from a, a wholesaler. Yeah. And you get it in packs of small sheets, or can, do you get larger sheets? Uh, when I go to the wholesaler, I just they they originally get it in 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 the full size sheets. You know mm -hmm. those huge sheets. Yeah. Um, they get in the huge sheets and I have them cut them down. Okay. Uh, and uh, I have to sort of buy a, like a minimum amount, but I'll buy um, a thousand sheets of paper. It's about B4. It's a little bit larger than B4 size. Uh -huh. And then I cut, I cut that down myself with a, a paper cutter. To A4? To B5. B5. I'm yep. not so versed in these sizes, but I'm guessing this is um, f ultimately for your your pieces are all designed so that someone. Well, actually, in your books, is stuff online now or still just yeah? There's in the a lot book? of lot of there's a lot templates. of the, the books are all online, yeah. But the templates <laughs> with the templates in them, yeah. The mm -hmm. the American ones generally are the the paper is included and it's already been. Um, oh. You punch it out. Punch it out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so they're they're quite easy to to do. Yeah. Um, 
and the the size of the of the the kid is just about the same as B five. So just it's just much easier for me to use B five for everything. B five is uh, in case people don't know, it's uh, A four is, is is similar to um, letter size paper. It's a right. little bit taller and a little bit narrower and the b5 is probably about um about 90 percent of the size of that it's a little bit smaller it's okay just a little smaller yeah just a little bit smaller it's actually still a reasonable reasonably good size right larger than a larger than a trade paperback it's probably about twice the size of a trade paperback you know trade paperback is probably like this Uh uh-huh uh-huh right so Right. Got it. And so uh, I was intrigued. You talked a little bit about the look of paper when you fly it because mm. uh, the light is an element and I, I love light. I use light in my work. So um, tell me about, and Japan is such a paper country. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a little, like, have you experimented with different papers? Uh, I know these models lend themselves to this heavier weight. To the thicker paper, yeah. 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 Um, well, of course, there's the, the origami paper as well, which is right, it's quite right. a bit lighter. And and, right. uh, um, and then there's all kinds of origami paper. The, the kind that people generally think of when they think of origami paper is what they call the kami. Mm-hmm. I think in, in the States it's called kami. Um, it's fairly thin. It's printed with color on one side and, and white on the back. Right. Um, but in Japan, of course, there are a lot more fairly common kinds of, of paper. For example, this is a Japanese paper. This is a amino washi made by machine, but um, it's considered Oh, a, yeah. A and amino washi, we can actually, there's several suppliers that sell Japanese papers. So I've gotten amino washi in large sheets, but I can mm-hmm. see how the, the weight of it is, would work really well for origami. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, this is that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's actually quite stiff. Right. Uh, a little bit stiffer than right. the kami. So it, it's, it's nice to work with. Um, I also get from Mino. Uh, a paper that's made from, I'm not sure, what do you call it? Oh, good heavens. It's the same material that you make linen out of. Flax. Uh, before it's been, yeah, flax, flax I guess, before uh-huh. it's been pounded flat. Um, oh, yeah, so it, and that's got a beautiful fiber in it. It's got a very nice fiber thing. Mm-hmm. It, it It's machine-made, mm-hmm. uh, so it's consistent over the whole thing. I mean, the mm-hmm. handmade paper is really interesting. <laughs> And it's fun to work with, but you know, for for doing the, the the paper airplanes, in any case, you end up with sort of weak spots in them. Right. Yeah. This is made sense. with machine, but um, it's only being rolled on one side. You know, and usually when Calendared. the paper is made, yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's run through rollers to dry it on both sides. This is only got on the one side, so it's one smooth side and one very rough side. Ah, right. Um. And yeah, the, the, the sun comes through it really nicely. So yeah, uh, it's stiff enough to make airplanes and they can be flown quite high. And then as they're flying, the sun comes through. It's really lovely. This is, um, uh, this sort of, this sort of thing anyways. Oh yeah. Make, okay. 
So he's showing me a glider with a tubular. With the tubular um, fuselage, yeah. Fuselage got, and then flat wings that are made of this bagasse. Flat wings that are made of the oh. paper. And then I printed on printed a, a, a design on the fuselage. So uh, can put it through a normal printer and and, and put colors on that way. Oh, or okay. mm, even better is to use, you know, markers that sort of the, the color sort of seeps out into it. Oh, okay. Makes okay. a really nice right. feeling. Yeah. How many models do you think you've designed? Or maybe you know exactly. And I, you have a no. beautiful uh, ceiling display that I saw in that video of all of these yep. models. Hundreds? I'm thinking there's thousand? probably about 2,000 models 2, on the ceiling. Wow. I, I'm sure I've designed more than that. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have any kind of catalog or archive of all of the designs? Or it's it, not the... accurate. Uh-huh. No. Uh, for a long time, I was keeping the original template pieces, you know, because the right. template pieces are flat. Just put them in an envelope, and, and mm -hmm. I have a couple of drawers full of envelopes. Um, occasionally, I sort of look at the ceiling and say, I want to make that one again, and then I try and find, <laughs> find the template pieces, and they're gone. I don't know where they went. Yeah, you uh, find them someday somewhere. I have the same issue. It's really hard to figure out. But yeah. I thought because you went to library school, you'd have a solution for me. Well, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> um, but I do have the, the the computer files are all sort of yeah. filed in a way that I can find them again. Anyways, right. Yeah, they're yeah. in different folders and I've given them names so that I can find them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Um, where do, what are you working on right now? Uh, at the moment, I'm putting together uh, a book of or a, a book of air origami airplanes for for Tuttle. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working on sort of two sets. One set is uh, uh, rectangular planes, and one are made from rectangular paper, and one is made from square paper. So. Ah. Um, I finished the rectangular one and now working on the square one. Oh, so there's cool. that. Uh-huh. And uh uh producing sort of new pieces for myself because it's always good to have a stock of things. Right. And uh sort of angling for a angling for a a, a publishing deal with another publisher here in Japan. Oh, okay. Um who is interested but not quite on the hook yet uh-huh so, uh-huh yeah uh, well since you post in my facebook group i'm curious to hear about your most recent post i think it's the most recent one it's really uh conceptually brilliant i think that folded sheet of paper that had kind mm -hmm. of like a flight track and then you put a paper airplane small little red one and mm -hmm. and uh we can put a photo in the show notes yeah. page, if that's okay with you. Uh, and so it rested right into the folds. And that was just stunning, I thought. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was that was fun. I, I've had, probably what it was, was I had some, like, off cuts from, from some Japanese paper. Uh-huh. And thought, what can I do with this? And, and uh, um, yeah, yeah. The, the way that the 
the light and the shadow sort of create the the form mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i thought would be interesting so i wanted to fold in the yeah like the, the contrails but right. not just a straight fold either i want to make it a curved fold okay yeah right uh, which turned out quite well yeah i think i did a, a, a number of them and that was the one that was it, it, it turned out the the best but it was uh it's it's a nice piece it's sort of on display here okay yeah oh cool so um, i think there's a lot of potential to do other things with that because the the curved folds are i mean they're just really interesting on their own mm-hmm mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um and because you don't see them that often but also the the way that the shadows and so on work is is really really interesting Right. Yeah, there are a few people that specialize in curved folds. Um, Ekaterina <laughs> Lukasheva is coming to mind. I'm sure there are others. But mm -hmm. yeah, they're taking them way further. I love the simplicity of the design that you did. And so... Um, yeah, simplicity is my thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk about two more things. I want to ask you about uh, flying techniques. I just want to hear a little bit about because I didn't really think about that until I watched you in this video and you and the interviewer were, mm -hmm. you were giving him some pointers about where to hold, just like some of the nuances about flying a, a plane, mm -hmm. paper plane. Um, well, it depends, first of all, if you're flying inside or outside. Uh -huh. It seems to make a big difference. Um, I don't know why, but the air seems to be uh, a lot um less dense in inside uh-huh uh-huh uh so uh, an airplane that sort of flies nicely inside sort of floats away when <laughs> you go outside and it's sort of uncontrollable and and ones that fly really well outside sort of head for the floor when uh -huh. you fly them inside okay um yeah but um in general uh if you're sort of doing test flights you sort of throw it like a dart straight forward Mm -hmm. um, and outside, you can put a, quite a bit more force into it because you don't, you know, have a ceiling or or walls to worry about. And in general, the the planes are quite quite sturdy. You know, even a um, an airplane is folded out of the the, the kami, you know, the origami paper. Mm -hmm. You can throw those as hard as you want, and and they're still fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're amazing. It's amazing yeah. how much. Here's here's a, a story that's not about me, but um, one of my friends here, who's um, uh, one of the, I think sort of the, the the expert on origami airplanes in in Japan, um, was working on a project with a professor from from University of Tokyo to uh, get a paper airplane on the space station and oh. have it flown back to earth. Oh wow. So they decided to find out whether it would actually, you know, survive re-entry. Yeah. And they put it in a hypersonic wind tunnel. Uh-huh. And flew it at Mach 7. Uh-huh. And it was okay. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Paper airplanes are, are really something. Wow. Um when I'm flying them outside, generally I use uh you know, throw them uh, throw them by hand is is fine, but I generally use a an elastic catapult. Oh you know, yeah, like the slingshot. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Just because it's easier to to make them go straight. Okay. Uh, when when okay. you're throwing them by hand, you get a bit of a snap in, and 
Right. It's like throwing uh, a ball and all those nuances of. Yeah. yeah. The idea is to yeah. throw it not like a ball. <laughs> right. Right. Really and straight. Really straight. And, and, and that that's uh, not always all that easy. Um, so if you're uh, outside and, and you know, flying right. for you know several hours at a time, it's much easier to use an, a, an elastic catapult to do it. Are there special ones? And do you know the origin of um, the slingshot technique for paper airplanes? <clears throat> Are there special bands? Um, it's the, yes and no. I think uh -huh. it's uh, it's the same type of type of rubber that's used for the, you know the rubber band powered airplanes. The motors okay, in that, okay. so it's just like a, a, a long elastic, like a, a giant elastic band. Right. Um, you could do the same thing with maybe three ordinary elastic bands tied together. Uh huh. Uh huh. The same sort of thing, but it's okay. not not quite as strong as as the rubber bands that you use for you know holding packages and things they they accelerate the plane a little bit too fast okay um the origin i don't know okay uh it was catapults were being used by model airplane builders people building the balsa airplanes uh-huh all the way back to, I mean, I'm guessing it probably goes back to before the Wright brothers. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because people were certainly using rubber pan powered motors uh, mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. model airplanes long before the Wright brothers. So that's got a long, long history. Yeah. It's just, it's not um, the sort of thing you'd expect to use with a paper airplane. Right. Yeah, because I had never you assume seen that it. a paper airplane is not going to be sturdy enough, but uh -huh. it, because it's actually, especially with the rubber band, it's going straight ahead. There's no sort of twisting force on the wing. It the wing is just it's slicing through the air. Uh huh. Uh, uh -huh. So there's actually not not any really um, unnaturally strong force on the airplane, and it 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 holds up fine. Well, yeah, and you're just making me wonder about are there different places on the airplane you can connect the catapult, or is it always the same place? It's generally going to be right at the front. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The farther forward, the better, generally. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, for a number of reasons. Um, as soon as you let go with the loose hand, it's being pulled forward directly, but the force is going through the center of gravity, which is not necessarily where the wing is. It might be uh -huh. higher up and you get a sort of a twist in it. Um, right. The farther forward it is, the, 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 the more chance you have of having it, have it fly straight. Right, right, right. Um, uh. Also where you hold it is, it's got uh, a certain amount to do with it. And the, the angle um, you're not, aiming directly upwards, for example, and you're not aiming horizontally either. It's sort of a like an angle that's angled up from the horizontal and then banked over to one side. So mm. that as the plane goes up, it sort of goes up in a big spiral. Ah, right. Uh, yeah. If you do it horizontally, it just makes a big loop and comes back and hits you in the back of the head. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. I've seen some of those motions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have like a favorite model that you've built or something, <laughs> some challenge that you overcame with a particular design? Just curious. Or is um, like, you're always working on like a new challenge. I'm always working on yeah. things, but I think sort of the two, the two big challenges that, I've been interested in over the years. The, the first is, and this is the one that like everybody has, how to make it fly for more than a minute. Wow. These yeah. are gliders, remember? Yeah. So um, in the normal run of things, you would, even if you use a, a catapult, um, get it up high enough that it will glide for maybe 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So in order to go for any more than that, you have to catch thermals and mm. it has to be, you know, a efficient enough airplane that it will um, go up in the thermal. Uh -huh. So one of the one of the goals that everybody has is to have their airplanes disappear into the sky. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's really exciting when it, when that happens. So that's that's one goal, and I, I've been able to, to do that. Um, mm -hmm. The other one is to have because I uh, get asked to do a lot of workshops. Um, have an airplane that's interesting, easy to build for anybody, uh, and will will fly no matter what. And that right. was a real challenge. Uh huh. Um, the model that I came up with for that is the the ladybug, which uh -huh. has round wing, no mm -hmm. tail. And that's in uh, that's in the video, and we it's see in the video. you and the yeah. interviewer flying them. So yeah, mm -hmm. people go look and let, look at that. You can see it. it it's it's oh, an it's yeah. an unusual looking airplane, but it's actually it's also like pretty robust. You can um, have the wings sort of cut not 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 quite straight. It can be asymmetrical. The wing can be off center, uh -huh. and um, I don't think anyone can see the see this in in the, in the podcast, right. but um, I can stick things on top of it. Uh, yeah, he's got a. Is last, it a rabbit on top? It's a rabbit on it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, the last few years, I've been putting the sort of Chinese zodiac things on, on uh -huh. the airplane every year and flying it. So there's a there's a cow, there's a mouse, there's uh -huh. a tiger, and there's a rabbit, and I'm working my way through them all. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so so an airplane that can be made by anyone from age five up, uh, and they'll be able to actually finish it, and then it will fly for them. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. and you have a great audience to test at the school where you teach, right? Yeah, are you, yeah. Where you're a principal. Mm -hmm, Lots of mm -hmm. five-year-olds. <laughs> Lots of five-year-olds who are certainly a, yeah. They show me where it's difficult. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. And let's wrap up with your recommendations. You had two really interesting ones. So tell me about um, how you like to use the ruler for folding. Yeah, I always explain to people that the best way to fold is is to use a ruler. Um, uh, just because when I'm doing my things, I want to have a really crisp um, fold, and I don't want to hurt the paper any more than necessary so i want to make a crease say if it's a 90 degree angle i want to fold it to 90 degrees 
But the easiest way to do that is to use a, a ruler and, you know, a fairly thick ruler that has uh, a very sharp edge to it. Mm-hmm. And usually when I'm folding, I actually don't use the, the, the tapered edge at the, the front. Um, that's better for drawing. But the, the thicker mm-hmm. edge at the back, uh-huh. uh, the thicker edge at the back usually is the one that has a better angle. And he's holding up a plastic ruler because... I'm holding up a plastic uh, metal ruler. And the one that I have here is one that's got a grid thinner. on it as well, which, right. is, which is kind of useful. Yeah. But the, the idea is that you uh, match up the edge of the ruler with, with the, the place where you want to make a crease. You sort of clamp it in place with your hand. Mm-hmm. And just run your finger up the the edge under the paper, um, and that'll give you a crease. <clears throat> uh-huh. Once you have the crease, then you can adjust the fold to whatever size you want after that. And okay. it gives you a, an absolutely straight fold, um, and it's just very easy to do. And you mentioned that um, you don't score because that, what what does weakens it, what the happen- paper? It weakens yeah. the paper. Yeah. So this keeps the paper stronger. Mm. Yeah. What happens when you fold paper? I mean, I'm sure everyone knows this. Yeah. Is that is that you're essentially breaking the the fibers. Right. And if you have a very thick paper, or you want to have uh, uh, a fairly loose uh, fold, you can you can score it, or you can make a slight cut in it, and that makes it easy to fold. But in the case of the airplane say you're folding where the wings are, but that's been weakened, then um, right. the wings are not going to be very sturdy. So you want yeah. to uh, yeah. fold only as much as necessary. That was my first recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also uh, said to read widely and visit the library. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love, I love libraries and I love how, you can just discover something walking amongst the shelves. Absolutely. It's different um, than the rabbit hole on the internet because you're usually following a thread there. Yeah. But yeah. here it's like something catches your eye and then you start looking and you're holding the book. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. libraries. Absolutely. I mean, re- reading magazines and, and, and so on, or even sometimes watching TV, you know, just the, mm-hmm. the interesting things come up. But right. Um, in the case of the book, you can spend more time studying it, obviously. Yeah. But as you say, walking through the library just randomly, you know, instead of going to the places you normally go to, um, wander through other places and see what there is. Just take things off the shelf and look at them. But uh, in my experience, um, there's always something interesting in just about every book that you look at. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea where the inspirations are going to come from. Um, right. Really new innovations generally come from you know, a combination of two or three sort of unrelated seeming ideas that sort of come together and you think, oh, wow, why didn't I think of that before? If I yeah. do, you know, this like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in my case, I've been doing mostly airplanes, but then, you know, they're not all airplanes. They're, there are a lot of sea creatures uh-huh. that I'm flying. Uh-huh. For example, I'm kind of pleased with did a frog. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there actually are such things as as flying frogs. Right, right. And uh, if they're flying frogs, I'm going to fly them. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Uh, flying fish? Okay, I'm going to make flying fish, you know. Uh, whale looks like it could fly. Well, we'll try that. And, and, you know, 
that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So not even just art books or craft books or so right. on, but you know, just almost anything that you look at will give you an idea for a motif or um, yeah. interesting patterns or you know connections between different things that you hadn't thought of before. So as I say, you know, just read lots of stuff, and then you will never run out of inspiration. Yeah, yeah, and I find that it really it also relates to um, what's going on in the moment in your life, you know, that, Certainly. Mm-hmm. that that piece also like one day you might not even notice that particular book, but another day it's like related to the, it's thing, the thing you, you just need saw. right now. Yeah. 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 Synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, wonderful. Um, so where can we find you online, Andrew? Um, yeah, I don't have a big online presence, but mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook. Okay. Uh, so if people look um, on, under my name, there are two, two that have my name. The one that's just my name is okay. Is the one that you probably should look at. There's um, Andrew Dewar, and then there's Andrew Dewar. Uh, what is it? Andrew Dewar's coming favorite craft workshop or something like that. Um, I don't look at that one very often, so. Yeah, uh, and if we search for one. your your how to books, um, people can find all yes, and you can find titles. those too. They're yeah. Yeah. they're they're on the online stores. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's well, great thank you for to having you. me. Hey, paper friends! Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper? featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at helenhebertstudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can find out more at helenhebertstudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Podcast, where you can find out more about these guys, subscribe to this series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon. Besides the season, the making came.